Welcome to the Grass-Fed Podcast with husband and wife team Nabil Boomrar and Caitlin Weeks. Caitlin is a certified nutrition consultant and the creator of grassfedgirl.com. Nabil is a classically trained chef who works in a five-star hotel in downtown San Francisco. They are the best-selling authors of Mediterranean Paleo Cooking. Together, Nabil and Caitlin answer your questions about healthy cooking and wellness while helping you learn to enjoy a relaxed paleo primal lifestyle. Here are your hosts, Caitlin and Nabil. Welcome to the Grassfed Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have Hannah Healy from HealyEatsReal.com. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're going to talk all about your health journey and all the things you're up to now and with paleo and oils and cooking and all kinds of fun stuff. So it's going to be a really fun show. Hannah's out in San Diego and... I mean, she's from San Diego, but she's actually in the Bay Area where I used to live and we used to hang out all the time. So I miss those walks and talks, but hopefully I'll get to visit soon. (laughs) So Hannah has a great blog. It's called Healy Eats Real and it's all about paleo and natural living and healthy do-it-yourself recipes and grain-free and all that kind of good stuff. Very similar to my website. So we have a lot in common. And so Hannah, just tell my listeners how you got into your health, how you got into health and your journey with uh, starting your blog and all that kind of stuff. All right. Well, um, so I've always kind of been interested in holistic health. Um, My mom is a midwife and a homeopathic practitioner and my grandpa had one of the first health food stores in San Diego it's called Green Tree Grocers so my family's always kind of been into that stuff um but I think what you know what I believe is healthy has really changed a lot through the years and um, as it does for a lot of people. So, um, I started, you know, in high school as a vegetarian and did that for many years, probably, you know, like 11 years. Um, and then transitioned out of that a couple years ago, um, because of some health issues and, started reading a lot about uh, Weston Price and reading, you know, nutrition books and trying to sort of figure out what was going on with me and why I wasn't feeling great. And that's when I sort of decided to take a more paleo primal kind of approach. And um, I felt a lot better since adopting that kind of a diet. And it's been really fun, you know, learning new ways to cook. And that's sort of what inspired me to start blogging um, is playing around with those kind of recipes and and all that stuff. So you were doing vegetarianism for a while. What what made you start to to rethink that? Uh, Well, it was a long journey. So, you know, I think I assumed that being vegetarian was the healthiest option, you know, when I was in high school. And um, 
I also really liked animals, so I, you know, I didn't want to cause them harm in any way. And I think that was like the biggest thing that made me go vegetarian. Um, and throughout the years, I tried a lot of different things while being vegetarian. You know, I tried veganism, I tried raw, you know, doing raw veganism. Um, and then I tried, you know, bringing back some animal products like eggs and cheese and, you know, all trying to kind of deal with these issues that I had been dealing with for a long time. So for example, I had really bad, like hunger issues. So, you know, I would eat a meal and then be bloated full right afterwards. And then probably like 30 minutes to an hour later, I would just be absolutely starving again. And, you know, it sounds like kind of an inconvenience, like when I say, when I describe it like that, but when that's happening to you all day, every day, it's like, makes you feel like you're crazy. And it made it hard to, you know, go out and be with people because I would be like starving all the time. So and I was you, having you a- can't eat right in front of people when you just ate a huge meal. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's weird. It's embarrassing. It's, it's, yeah, it's very strange. And then, you know, I had some, that was obviously like blood sugar issues. I also had like really bad sugar cravings. Um, and so once I started learning more about nutrition and really looking into that, I realized that just with, you know, my body type, especially, um, that, a high carb, low protein diet is was really contributing to those blood sugar, you know, peaks and troughs and um, and the sugar cravings. And then, I, you know, I did more research, um, you know, especially with um, the Mood Cure by Dr. Julia Ross. She talks a lot about amino acids and how they're really important, um, you know, for your for your brain. And that not getting enough amino acids can really make you anxious. And I had had a lot of problems with anxiety also that had been getting worse and worse. And I'm still dealing with them now. Um, and I believe that that contributed to it as well. Um, not having, you know, bioavailable, easy to digest protein from good quality meats. Um, you're not getting those amino acids that help your brain and help, uh, you know, create serotonin in your brain. So there's that. And then, yeah, the <laughs> blood sugar and the hormones, just the whole mess of things that <laughs> was it's making kind of me. a, a, a a downward spiral and it all goes together. And so you had to do a lot of work healing your gut because I think one, one thing people don't realize is that when you're eating a lot of, you know, healthy whole grains or, uh, you know, all these kind of vegetarian vegan foods that are very hard to digest, that your gut can be a big mess and then you're not really absorbing. And that's probably part of what was happening with your uh, hunger situation was mm-hmm. you're not not really absorbing what you're eating, and then uh, you know you're hungry five minutes later, and so you had to do a lot of work. What kind of stuff did you do to heal your gut? Yeah, so I started. Um, well, one thing that I think really helped me was um, bringing down the amount of grains and legumes that I was eating because. 
You know, I had taken out soy a long time ago as a protein source, and I think, you know, a lot of people know soy is not good for you. A lot of it's GMO. It's hard to digest. It has anti-nutrients. Um, so I took that out a long time ago, but I had been having a lot of legumes and grains to as my protein source. So, you know, like lentils, chickpeas, beans, and quinoa. And I think, you know, a little bit of those can be okay for people, but if you're having a ton of it every day, um, it's not great. And a lot of them ha contain, you know, anti-nutrients and phytic acid that actually block the absorption of, you know, micronutrients and sometimes even my macronutrients like protein, which is kind of ironic since we eat them for the protein mm -hmm. and they're really high carb, which I know that also, uh, contributes to the blood sugar kind of roller coaster thing. Mm -hmm. So taking those out was really helpful. And also just adding in a lot more protein was huge for me. So I noticed like when I started having breakfast with protein, um, like, you know, grass-fed meats or pasture-raised meats, um, it made such a huge difference because that was a big, a big um, issue for me was having a breakfast with, you know, grains or something and then being starving 30 minutes later. Um, and then so when I switched over to having like a high-protein breakfast, low-carb breakfast, um, I was full all the way until lunchtime. So that was great. <laughs> And, you know, guys, the, really the reason I want to have Hannah on is because her story is so similar to mine. I mean, I wasn't a vegetarian for very long, but when I met Hannah, she was going through a lot of the same things that I was going through. And um, I, when she told me she was vegetarian, I was, like, scared for her because I didn't want her to go through all the same things I did with my thyroid and everything. And I hope that she's avoided that for herself. But... um I think that uh, when I first met her, she was eating a lot of cheese and eggs, and that was, you know, better than, than not eating a lot of people you meet or eating not even that. So at least she was she was trying to be smart about it. And then when when you learn more about the, then I think Mary, our friend Mary, got you eating bone broth, right? Yeah. So it was kind of a, it was just a difficult couple years there because I think the the last like probably year or two that I was vegetarian I knew that I sh probably shouldn't be but it's just so closely tied with like your identity and you're so used to it and then you know just the the idea of eating animals if you haven't eaten them for so long especially if you're an animal lover there's like a lot of guilt associated with it so I think dealing with that and sort of like reconciling all of those different issues in my head was a really big challenge you know I mean theoretically it sounds easy to just like start eating meat but if you haven't done it in so long just a lot of the the mental anguish kind of like makes it super difficult so I sort of had to work a lot of that out before I could have yeah. uh, the strength to to try it so and uh, yeah. I mean I was just I mean my parents weren't as much into health as, as your family, but my stepmom was, she loved all those vegetarian cookbooks when I was growing up. And she was always talking about how healthy lentils were and, you know, brown rice and her favorite meal to feed us was brown rice and black beans. And so I always thought that that was the healthiest thing too. 
Um, so it was, it is really hard to, to change your thinking. And especially when you grow up with people who are, you know, maybe environmentalism, environmentalists or, you know, people, you know, that kind of hippie idea from the seventies <laughs> is just very, it permeates and it's hard to, to come out of it. And sometimes you have to get really sick before you're, you're like, Oh wait, this isn't working, you know, yeah, for my yeah. body. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think it's like, you know, some of it is true. Like, you know, I think it's really important. Like the quality of meat is so important. And like, some people don't get that, you know, and, um, you know, meat can be bad for you if it's like, you know, the factory farmed kind of meat that's really high in omega sixes and very inflammatory. That can be really bad for you. Um, but if you choose quality, you know, organic grass fed pasture-raised meats, then they are good for you. So I think that distinction is really important. Yeah. And it's really hard for, you have to change also your ideas about your budget and stuff like that, because it has to become more of a priority. And especially when you're younger, you know, you're like, I don't want to spend all this money on food, but it becomes more important. And then you switch Maybe you're not so into, you know, fashion or something like that because <laughs> it becomes much more of a priority when you're not feeling well. Absolutely. Um, but it can be hard to, to take that those steps towards changing the, the beginning. Yeah, I think for me, it was like once I wasn't feeling good and, you know, my fiance, Victor, he kind of went through a lot of the same stuff. Um, I mean, different health issues, but similarly, you know, he had health issues that he needed to change his diet for. So for both of us, we realized that it was important to um, spend the money on the good stuff and feel better because it's really clear when you feel terrible, like how important it is to actually prioritize good food in your budget. But like, you know, if you're feeling okay, then it's a lot harder to, to justify that. But I know that if I, you know, now I feel pretty good, but I know if I keep eating poorly, it's going to get bad again. So it's like, I gotta, you have to think about the, the future ramifications. But, but once you know, you can't unknow. So you really can't. Exactly. Eat. Like I'll eat on a, in a restaurant, you know, when I'm traveling and sometimes, you know, when you just get starving and you're just like, I'll eat here. I don't care. But, but yeah. for the most part, you know, I'd say 90 to 95% of the time I'm eating something that's organic or, um, eating at home. And I'm sure you do the same thing. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, especially it's like the 80, 20 rule, like 80% of the time eat, you know, the perfect clean diet, 20%, you know, if you're traveling or whatnot, I think that's a, a good rule to live by. Uh, so tell us about this. So you, you were so passionate that you wrote a book with a group of other bloggers. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's super exciting. So it just came out. Um, it's called The Ultimate Paleo Cookbook. And it is a collection of 900 recipes. Oh. So yeah, it's a huge paleo cookbook. It's all paleo. Um, and it's a collaboration between 10 other paleo bloggers. So it's um, myself, Hannah Healy from Healy Eats Real, um, Rachel Ball from Grot Grub, um, 
Paleo Foodie Kitchen, Savory Lotus, Cinnamon Eats, South Beach Primal, The Nourished Caveman, Rubies and Radishes, Primally Inspired, and Colorful Eats Nutrition. So a bunch of really awesome paleo bloggers. We all teamed up to create this book. Um, And it's really awesome because it's just, you know, like I said, 900 recipes. There's, it really makes it easy to stay healthy and stay on budget um, by providing so many different recipes. It's really like anything you need. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of time or you're on a budget or you need to like feed your whole family and you want to give them healthy food, this book is really a lifesaver because it has anything you would need. Um, so we have like main dishes, slow cooker recipes. We even have a whole section on easy, fast, and few ingredient, which is really good if you're on a time crunch. Um, appetizers, soup, salads, desserts, breakfasts, paleo essentials, and breads and crackers. So there's a lot of recipes in the book. What kind of recipes did you put in or how, how many did you do? So um, I would say probably around like 80 or 90. So we each submitted uh, 100, and then they sort of pared it down from there. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, like I did. like your own cookbook all by itself. I know. <laughs> um, so a lot of the recipes that I submitted were um, dessert recipes because one of my biggest passions is baking, and I really love paleo baking and really like experimenting with that stuff so a lot of my recipes are are you know baked goods and sweets and then there's some other stuff like you know um pork chops and um zucchini spaghetti with creamy alfredo sauce that's dairy free Mm. um yeah all kinds of stuff so tell us i know people always ask me questions about paleo baking what are some differences between paleo baking and regular baking and like how do people transition to try that? So, um, well, so paleo baking, it uses a lot of different ingredients. Obviously they have to be grain free, gluten free and dairy free if you're a strict paleo. Um, so a lot of the different ingredients for, um, grain-free paleo baking. A lot of people will use like almond flour, coconut flour, and there's a lot of other flours you can use like arrowroot, cassava, uh, cassava I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> tapioca flour. Um, so there's all kinds of different flours. I'd say the most common ones are almond flour and coconut flour. And then you, you try to use more natural sweeteners rather than just like processed white sugar. So, you know, honey, maple syrup, dates, that kind of stuff. So, um, and some I people think, use the low, lower carb sweeteners. Do you do those sometimes or? Yeah. So like stevia, that kind yeah. of thing. I don't use stevia very much with baking. Um, I th- I'm not a huge fan of stevia, but I know you can use it for baking if you prefer low-carb. You know, it's doable, but I'm not a huge fan of it. <laughs> oh, um, what is? Have you done much with cassava? I've never really done that because I'm more... I do... I can't eat a ton of carbs at once, so... Yeah, I haven't. I've done a little bit with cassava, um, not a whole lot, but it, I know it's really good for um, autoimmune paleo diet um, for baking with that. 
Um, it makes it really easy to uh, not use eggs. It's, it's like very sturdy in and of, of itself. I've used tapioca a lot in my mm-hmm. in my Mediterranean paleo book, but I didn't ever get the cassava. I don't really know the difference, but it yeah, seems to be very yeah. trendy now. Yeah, it's. I think it is really easy to. It's like very. It's a very good substitute for wheat flour because it's like very sturdy and it's really easy to make like things oh, yeah. that don't fall apart. <laughs> so um, that and also like plantains or plantain flour. That's also really good for autoimmune paleo baking because you can't use eggs. So that it's really <laughs> it's a challenge when you're baking with AIP to not use eggs. So those are some good options. Um, one time we did AIP at the same time and we would mm-hmm. meet in the park and uh. it was like a secret, <laughs> you and me, we would meet in the park and have picnics because we couldn't eat at restaurants. That was the best. I remember when we, we went to the Presidio and we met and for our AIP picnic and you made these like um, they were like meatloaf, like cupcake kind of things. Like they were like meatloaf, little like muffins. And then on the, instead of frosting, it was like sweet potato on the top. And it was like the most amazing thing. Like if, when you're like on AIP and you feel so deprived and it's like, Ooh, it's a cupcake. Even though it was just like meat and potatoes. I was like so excited. <laughs> yeah. Those, if I took that to a birthday party, kids would cry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless it was my dog's birthday party, I'd just be excited. <laughs> yeah, a dog would love that. Yeah. So, um, you have the cutest little dog named Lintel. Thanks. <laughs> Probably you named him when you were vegetarian. Yeah. I also think it's just a cute name. It's like a little bean, because yeah. she's a little bean. <laughs> yeah, it goes, it goes with her personality. Um, yeah. So... People, this is the big question I always get. Can you sub almond flour for coconut flour? (laughs) Great question. So I feel like there's like a a couple of like big mistakes that people make with paleo baking. And that's one of the biggest ones is trying to substitute coconut flour for almond flour. So the thing about coconut flour is that it's very dry and it soaks up a lot of moisture. So when you use coconut flour to to bake, you have to use a lot more moisture with it than, than what you would use for almond flour or any other kind of flour for that matter. So, you know, you might see a recipe that calls for like a quarter cup of coconut flour and then you know maybe like a cup of milk and like five eggs and just like a bunch of wet ingredients so people a lot of times like think that's wrong and so they'll add a bunch more coconut flour because they don't know that it soaks up a ton of moisture so yeah when you see a recipe that's either you know a recipe that has almond flour you can't sub it with coconut flour one to one and usually it's going to be completely change the recipe if you want to use coconut flour and not use almond flour so i think with coconut flour for one it requires a lot more moisture and it usually requires more eggs as well and then that brings me to another mistake that people make is trying to not use eggs in coconut flour recipes it's like almost impossible it's not impossible there are ways to like figure it out 
But if it's a recipe that's just like flour, coconut flour is the main flour in it, it's really, really hard to substitute out the eggs. Um, so, you know, if you're not very <laughs> experienced with paleo baking, I wouldn't try to use like a flax egg or like a mashed banana or something in place of eggs in a coconut flour recipe. Yeah, it, it's. I have one recipe I made with it, and it's like pumpkin and chia, and but it has a lot of moisture mm-hmm. and like just a little bit of coconut flour. But um, yeah, I think if you're tricky. gonna make yeah, if you're gonna make a coconut flour recipe with no eggs, you're gonna need like a lot of different like things that to support it. You know, like so you can't just make like two flax eggs in place of the two eggs, you know, like you would maybe try like flax and gelatin or something, you know, like a gelatin egg or, you know, oh, yeah. a couple different things. It's probably also just a good idea to just Google another recipe, like Google an egg-free recipe rather than try to change because paleo ingredients are more exp- are pretty expensive. So you don't want to just waste it. So just Google a different recipe rather than trying to change one that you see already there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think the substituting thing is like, it is a lot harder to substitute paleo recipes. Um, yeah, because all the ingredients behave a lot differently than just like wheat flour and wheat flour is so just like, versatile and so easy to work with and and it's just like very forgiving it's it's very forgiving exactly so it's like easy to substitute with that kind of stuff but it's not the same with paleo recipes and i think people kind of assume that like regular baking with wheat flour and all those things is it's just kind of like the same thing with paleo baking but it is it's a whole it's a whole different animal (laughs) so um you started your blog a couple years ago and you went in like a year, you went from being a dog walker to a full-time blogger. How did you do that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was a dog walker for a few years. You're, you're a highly educated graduate college graduate dog walker. That's right. Yes. That is, I graduated in the height of the recession. So it was a uh, difficult 2000 and late. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so I started my blog while I was a dog walker and sort of just did it like in my free time and I was really into it and I kind of spent like every spare moment on my blog because I was kind of obsessed with it. Um, and then, so in a year, yeah, I grew it from nothing to, you know, like over a hundred thousand views per month and was able to transition out of dog walking and do blogging full time. So yeah, there was a lot of trial and error in that time. I would say like kind of the biggest things were like being consistent and, um, really treating my blog like a business rather than just a hobby and networking, you know, networking with other bloggers is so important. So yeah, because when you know somebody, then they could share something, and then that would get get more followers towards exactly. your blog. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like it's tough when you're first starting out and you don't have any, you know, you don't have many followers. So it's hard to sort of network with other people that might have more followers than you because 
there's a lot of that going around of just like random people being like, here's a blog that I wrote here. Why don't you share it with your followers? And people don't generally respond very well to that. So I think, you know, if you want to network with people, offer them help first, you know, or like offer to review their book or do something for them to sort of like create a good relationship and don't ask them for favors right off the bat, you know, sort of try to make genuine relationships with people. Yeah, and I think also meeting, trying to get out and meet people in person helps yes. if you do live anywhere near anyone else who, um, but sometimes you need to actually invest in a course or something. So you have something that you wanted to put out to help other new bloggers, right? Yeah. And so I have a a blogging course that I created and that sort of goes through the steps of like, you know, how to monetize your blog, how to grow your traffic and grow your followers and, and, you know, how to not waste your time on things that don't really matter or, things that you know make you feel like you're going crazy or something so (laughs) where to where to focus first and exactly yeah and so to get your email list growing and you know marketing ebooks and all that good stuff so yeah i have that course and it's um four modules and it's called the full-time blogger course and it has um some you have some lessons where they can like follow along each course and stuff, each module. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all, um, video lessons. So you get to actually see exactly how to go through each step and, um, on the computer, how it looks, you know, how to grow your Pinterest, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had had that when I started, cause I've started blogging, I think about three or four years before you did. And <laughs> It took, it took me so long to figure all that stuff out. So I wish I had had a quick, you know, cut to the chase thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of trial and error that goes on. So it's kind of helpful to have something that sort of like shows you what are the important things to focus on and, and that makes it a lot easier. Absolutely. So what are some things that you wish you could tell your younger self, like pretend you're talking to Hannah when she was, you know, 19 or 20 and what would you tell her? I would give her the lottery numbers for <laughs> last year. No, I'm just kidding. For the $1.5 billion power. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I think, um, I think I would tell myself to not be vegetarian. Um, and you know, I don't want to like rag on vegetarians. It's like, I I have no problem with people if they want to be vegetarian, that's fine. And you know, it works for some people, but, um, I just know that for me, it was not a good choice and it kind of created some issues. So yeah, I would tell myself to not be vegetarian. Although knowing myself in high school, I probably would have like told myself to shut the hell up. (laughs) (laughs) You've been like, I know everything. Go away. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then I probably would have told myself to like start my blog sooner. (laughs) Yeah. Not not waste so much time. Because I feel like going to, I wish I could have learned all this stuff before when I was in college. I mean, the internet didn't even exist when I was in college. But, um, (laughs) but like, I mean, it was like just starting. So I wish I could have 
Because I feel like in regular school and in universities, they just teach you how to get a job. And, you mm-hmm. know, for people like us, especially when you, when your health is not so awesome, you don't feel like going to work every day and like being like, okay, here I am punching the clock and here's yeah. my, here's my TPS report, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's the perfect thing when you just want to sleep in and take care of yourself and cook and eat right and go grocery shopping all day like we do. <laughs> yeah, no, there was like, there was like a, a year probably where I was just freaking out about like my career and what I was going to do. Cause like I hated my job. And I hated the idea of, like, every job that I've ever heard of, you know? And so when I learned that, like, you could be a blogger and make money from that, I was like, oh, my God, this is the job for me. And then I was just like, I'm going to do anything I can to, like, make this happen because that's the only thing that I want to do. And that's what, you know, I really learned about myself that I really want to be, like, I want to work for myself and be an entrepreneur. I'm not the kind of person that can, like, you know, punch in a time sheet and work nine to five and work for someone else. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't really find motivation uh, to work for other people's projects and goals. Like I'd much rather just work on my own stuff. Yeah. So, so tell everybody what you think about gluten-free. Is it, is it just a fad or is it going to, is it here to stay? Um, you know, I could probably talk about this for like an hour, but I'll try to (laughs) condense it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like haters on the gluten-free thing and I don't really understand like why people are so like soured on gluten-free. Um, but you know, I think that there's, there is you know, a lot of different things going on with the gluten thing. So I know there was like that study that came out not that long ago that basically said people are making it up, you know, like people are making up that they're don't feel good when they have gluten. So, um, and I think, you know, a lot of those, like that study that came out, I think it wasn't really done very well. Um, I know that, the study, like, it only removed gluten for, like, two weeks or something, and um, and then they had, like, a, the, what was it, like, the standard diet after that, or it was supposed to be, like, the clean diet after that or something, and then it had, they had, like, whey in it anyway, which, like, cross-reacts with gluten, and there was just, like, a bunch of stuff wrong with that study anyway, if you actually look into it, but I think the problem is that most people that read stuff online. They don't really look into the details of the study. They just look at the headline. And I know they had a really like inflammatory headline for it. It was like people that have gluten sensitivity are just making it up or something like that. (laughs) So beef causes cancer. Yeah. So they like just see the headline and they're like, okay, let's go like rag on everyone that's gluten free. But you know, I think there's, there's a lot of different things going on with gluten rather than just, um, celiac. And obviously like people, you know, people accept your gluten-free diet if you're celiac, but if not, some people get all testy about it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that shows that 
um, gluten, there's people that are like on a spectrum of gluten sensitivity and you don't necessarily have to be celiac to have like a immune response to it. A lot of people with autoimmune diseases get have like a, an autoimmune trigger by gluten and then it makes them feel terrible. So, um, and then there's people that say that like wheat has been so hybridized to the point that it's hard to digest and that modern wheat is like almost unrecognizable when it's compared to ancient wheat, like the makeup of the wheat. Um, and that's from wheat belly. So wheat belly is really interesting to read about gluten and all that. And, and then people say like, there's a lot of glyphosate sprayed on wheat and maybe that's what's causing people's sensitivity or that maybe it's actually FODMAPs that are, you know, causing the issues. And I think, you know, it doesn't really matter like what is in the wheat or what's in the bread or anything that's, or like why it's causing people to not feel well. I think the point is that it's not making them feel well, like whatever it is, we might not know what it is, but the point is they don't feel well when they're eating it, you know? So, you know, maybe it's not the gluten, maybe it's something else. But the fact is that for a lot of people, they feel better when they don't eat gluten products and that maybe it actually hurts them when they do eat gluten products. So just because you don't know why doesn't mean that they're making it up or doesn't mean they should be criticized for it. Yeah. So I, I know for myself, um, I took out gluten for, I like tested a long time ago. Um, I took it out for, I think a month and then reintroduced it and noticed that I had like pretty bad back pain. Um, and which is like an inflammatory response, um, to the gluten. And, um, and I've noticed like ever since then, if I accidentally have some gluten, it's like I have back pain immediately. And I've noticed that even like when I don't know I have gluten, like one time I had some like salad stuff and I thought it had rice in it. And then afterwards, like my back was just hurting so bad. And I was like, why does my back hurt so much? And I like asked my friend, I was like, my back really hurts. Like, it feels like I got gluten like, was there something at the party that had gluten in it? And like, she was like, oh, there was that salad that had orzo in it and it was like orzo pasta and I thought it was rice. And I was like, ah, (laughs) it was like, so it's just like, yeah. And I, I'm like the type of person that will never take like ibuprofen or, or Tylenol if I don't really need to. And it's, it's like the point it's to the point where I need to like take something like that for my back. Cause it hurts so much. You have to take a, 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 a body support bomb, <laughs> a capsule <laughs> of some oils to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. I'll take like deep relief or something like that. But um, yeah, it's really bad. So it's like when people are like, oh, you're just making it up or, or like, oh, that's not really a thing. It's like, okay, I don't know. Maybe it's not the gluten. I don't really care. All I know is that I don't want to eat something that's going to make my back like hurt really bad like that and just make me feel like crap. So I yeah, I have, um, I get really bad headaches whenever I eat something with gluten, like if at a restaurant or something and then I know right away, like, oh, there was some sauce or something, like... Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think a lot of this, uh, a lot of people, like, in the science community are really quick to dismiss the gluten issue because 
a lot of it is like anecdotal. So like, you know, maybe the scientific evidence for it is not super strong, although there is some research on gluten, but like a lot of it is from personal experience or stories of reactions. But, you know, I think like completely dismissing anecdotal evidence is not a good idea because like a lot of the hypotheses for scientific research or like nutritional research it starts out as anecdotal and that's sort of the catalyst that prompts the research to do the studies to like figure out why that's happening so sometimes it just takes a long time to figure out like what's really going on or what's really causing these issues and not every study is the end all be all on that subject so yeah I uh, think you really just have to try it for yourself for a few weeks three two three four weeks and then and then see how you feel and each person is individual and yeah exactly yeah I think I the thing that bothers me the most is just people like getting so angry about people that are gluten-free you know I've heard stories of people like go to restaurants and ask for gluten-free and then people are like asking for their medical history you know like they're at dinner it's like okay it doesn't really matter like what you what your opinion is you would never do that to like somebody who was asking for a vegetarian meal exactly yeah exactly um and i think also i mean for me and and i'm sure for you it's like the blood sugar i mean i remember like sitting in my car eating like a whole loaf of bread or something before I could, once I started to eat it, like I couldn't stop, you know, and, yeah, and stuff like that. Just so for me, it's not only the gluten, but it's also Mm -hmm. the blood sugar response, which people think that wheat bread is so glyce is so, you know, rich and whatever, but it actually (laughs) spikes your blood sugar really high, even the same or higher than, than white bread. So yeah, it's actually, they said, like, the the glycemic index number for wheat bread is higher than for a Snickers bar. Mm. So, yeah. And a lot, you know, like, the wheat that, most of the wheat that we have in the U.S. is so processed and it's been so stripped of all of its nutrients that it doesn't even have any, like, vitamins or minerals in it anymore. And the vitamins and minerals that are in bread, that's like it says on the nutrition facts, they're synthetic ones that are are added back in. And, you know, you can't really absorb the synthetic vitamins very well. So, yeah. And like you said about Weston A. Price, the ancient people in the, you know, fertile crescent for making, you know, cutting their wheat with those big sticks or whatever, they were soaking and sprouting their wheat and, mm-hmm. you know, something that nobody does that anymore. They right. just put it in the toaster or whatever. Um, yeah. And I think a lot, yeah, like I said, like the wheat that we have in the U.S. has been so hybridized that it's nothing like the ancient wheat. And so like there's places where it, they have like the ancient wheat, like einkorn or something like or they haven't hybridized it as much. And so people will say, like, a lot of people, if they go to France, like, they'll have the bread and it's okay because it's not so hybridized and hard to digest and, like, have, you know, like, as in the U.S. So It's not from the Man- Monsanto bakery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so we're, it's almost time for dinner here in 
Central Time. <laughs> so tell everybody where you can they can find out about all the stuff you're doing. It sounds so exciting. Yeah. Um, so my book, um, The Ultimate Paleo Cookbook, is out now. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can just search Ultimate Paleo Cookbook. And, um, I think it's on sale right now. Um, if the list price is $30, but I think it's like, you know, $17, something like that. Um, and it's also available at Barnes and Noble. Um, and my course, the full-time blogger course is, um, available too. It's, uh, you can go to healyeatsreal.com slash blog dash course to check that out. And you, yeah. Do you have an affiliate program for that? Um, I th- I don't know. <laughs> I have to look into that. <laughs> Here, work on work on that. Here's your yeah, assi- here's your homework. Okay. <laughs> well, Hannah's our very first guest on the Grass Fed Podcast, so we're so glad that she came on today. I only have my good friends on because um, I very picky, so. Yay. I'm glad I made the cut. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we will hopefully see you soon. I can't wait to come back and visit. And thanks so much for listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe and go over to grassfedlist.com to get all my recipes and updates. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye.